Hey, welcome to the show tonight. It's a beautiful Wednesday night. Still almost 100 degrees outside, but I'm inside in the air conditioning. You kind of hear it wearing behind me. My name is Charlotte, and I'll be your host for the evening. Um, I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. That's www.californiahaunts.org. And if you want to check out the radio show, we've got a website too, and that's at www.californiahauntsradio.com. Anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, we got a really great guest on for you tonight. Um, this, this, this mystery for this airplane has uh, perplexed me as well. Just like, you know, he's done his research on it. I've done a little bit of research on this, on, on what happened to this plane uh, when, when it uh, blew up in midair. And I've always been curious about um, what really happened because it seemed to me like the explanation was just too simple and too easy. And uh, Mr. Cashel, he'll... Uh, have some different information for us to listen to tonight about this crash. Anyway, without further ado, let me get the guest on and we can start the show. Hello, sir. How you doing? Uh, good to see you. Good to see you too. I'm really excited to have you on. Now it's Sean, correct? Pardon? Your first name? Charlotte. Charlotte, I'm sorry. I should have introduced myself. See, I forgot to do that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking for the name. I said, okay, Charlotte. Right? Sometimes I forget, yeah. Okay. It's, it's the senility of my age now, you know? Yeah, no, no. It's a, it's a good name. <laughs> Noble name. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's great to be here. And uh, it's, you know, it's just 25th anniversary last, uh, uh, about three or four weeks ago, of the uh, crash of Tiddy Gray Flight 800. And it's... Uh, I would say it's not an unsolved mystery. We all know what happened. Mm -hmm. It's just that no one wants to acknowledge what happened. And that's, I guess that to some people makes it unsolved. Well, I had read online because I guess, I guess what the party line is on it, because I had looked at a Wikipedia and a couple other things where it had said it was faulty wiring, but you think otherwise. No, I know otherwise. And uh, no one who isn't paid to say that believes that. Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've written two books on this subject and I've, I co-produced a documentary. You know, I've talked to uh, literally hundreds of people involved with the investigation. I mean, at high levels, uh, including people who worked on the investigation on island, talked to people who were uh, on board uh, some of the ships involved, talked to the air traffic controllers, talked to the eyewitnesses. And, you know, I hear by email from, you know, uh, especially after my book came out, TW800, the crash cover-up conspiracy, came out uh, in 2016. I, I heard from literally hundreds of people with first-hand knowledge of the aviation industry. And to a person, they, they reject uh, the official explanation as to what happened. Mm -hmm. In fact, I did my C-SPAN book TV presentation uh, at the TWA Museum in front, in front of an audience of TWA uh, employees, uh, veterans. And I said to them, I said, I wouldn't waste your time nor dishonor the memory of your uh, fallen colleagues. 53 of them, TWA employees, were killed in a crash. Wow. With a conspiracy theory. I'm not going to do that to you. That would dishonor them, their memory. So I told them what I knew, and I'd be happy to share that with your audience as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Because before we go any further, what I've been reading, and what I'm going to say, quote, is a company line on all this, is that it was faulty wiring. That is the company line. Yeah. It took them four years to come to some explanation that would at least seem vaguely plausible. Um, you know, but they knew within a day, within an hour, is what, what happened. And so what they had to do was to 
distract the American public long enough so people lost interest, and then at the end come up with an explanation that they could sell, even though it, you know, let's face it, it is a 747. That's right. 747s were grounded. Air Force One was a 747. That wasn't grounded. Uh, that doesn't happen if there's a mechanical problem. Absolutely. So um, if you could, uh, you know, tell everybody what, like, like in order what happened, because I, I know they took off from, from JFK, yeah, correct? A lot of people forget the details and understandable 25 years ago. People in New York area tend to remember. I was on the night of July 17th, 1996, 8, 19 p.m. This is a 747 TWA Flight 800. It uh, takes off from JFK in, uh, you know, in New York City heading for Paris, and it's flying uh, due east pretty much along the southern coast of Long Island, which, uh, as you probably know, is a big resort area. It's all, mm -hmm. that's where the Hamptons are, for instance. And, um, and it's only eight or 10 miles offshore, and in full view of literally thousands of people, it blows up. Now, 750 of those people would talk to the FBI, give them a, formal reports, of those 250 told the FBI, they saw an object streaking up towards the airplane and uh, resulted in the destruction of the airplane. Of those, something like 56 followed the missiles from the uh, horizon all the way to the plane and watched them destroy the plane. We're talking not just, you know, guys off the street, but uh, pilots, military people, people uh, or, you know, fishermen, people are used to seeing things at sea and knowing what they're seeing. Uh, and, you know, by and large, it was you know, a pretty good class of, given, I mean, you know, socioeconomically, it was a good class of, uh, of eyewitnesses. Uh, that said, we would have known the truth much more quickly had the crash taken place in, say, the backwoods of West Virginia. Because the New York Times would not have owned the story as they did in its own backyard. And the uh, the powers that be could not have gotten away with telling the story the way they did without the uh, cooperation of the New York Times. Was the Navy of the... Well, I mean, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. Um, when the New York Times started to look into this, who did they talk to it for? Well, obviously, because I'm a reporter. So, I mean, the first person I would call would would be the, I guess it's it's the flight well, you authorities, know, right? A, right. You would normally uh, talk to exactly that's right. You're exactly right. You would normally talk to the National Transportation Safety, right? The NTSB, which by law is uh, in charge. By law, it's not just a mm -hmm. executive order. Is in charge of. Um, uh, domestic airplane crashes. Uh, however, uh, within hours of the crash, uh, the FBI took over the investigation from the NTSB. They did it illegally, but they did it publicly. So the FBI was the one communicating with the New York Times, not the NTSB. And uh, privately, but illegally, and this, you know, we learned many years later, when the CIA under uh, rest released certain key documents. The CIA really took over the investigation from the FBI on day one. Well, see, for me as a reporter, that would have been a tip-off. I mean, why would the FBI get involved, you know, so quickly yeah. into this thing? No, right, because the FBI can only get in involved once uh, the NTSB uh, declares it a crime scene, and it was never declared a crime scene. And yet the FBI essentially, at least publicly, ran the investigation. Wow. Yeah, that that would have been a, a, a nice an iceberg for me to like do more research into that. Yeah, no. but I know, but I know how police are. Okay, because you know I used to be on a, I used to be a crime beat too, so I know how difficult it is to. It's like squeezing blood from a turnip. Yeah, <laughs> when you're no, talking I, to them. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> I went down wrong, and that's milk I'm drinking. You know, I'm drinking it's the hard stuff. Yeah, but. Um, no, the FBI talked exclusively to the New York Times. And that what that did is it made all the other media dependent on what the New York Times said. Mm -hmm. So you know how it is if you're a reporter that uh, uh, reporters, you know, 
treasure their access to sources. And yes. they hate to share that. And sources know that, and so they can lead reporters by the nose and lead them where they want to go. Sure. What happened with this is they knew within 24 hours, missile was off the table. You know, this was two days before the start of the Atlanta Olympics. Uh, the last thing uh, anyone in Washington wanted was um, people scared to death to fly, thinking that missiles took down the airplane. So for about two weeks, they dithered. And then the FBI fed the New York Times the line that it was a bomb on the plane. And they were very specific about it you know, where the explosive residue was found. And so you had a headline uh, five weeks after the crash on August 23rd, uh, above the fold, New York Times, big headline, prime evidence uh, found that uh, explosive device in cabin destroys TWA 800. That's a headline five weeks after the crash. And then a month later, the word came down, no, we don't want a bomb. You've got to lose the bomb story. And then they said, well, it may have been. Then they said, and, and when you look at it, the media, as New York Times really, uh, how they switch from day to day, it's mm-hmm. really appalling. It's shocking. Uh, and then they said, well, uh, now the NTSB is weighing in and saying, the NTSB is saying, we have found no evidence of a bomb. So we're, we think it's probably a mechanical failure. Now, this has to do this, they have to ignore the fact that for the last month or so, the New York Times has been reporting breathlessly every day about explosive evidence uh, found here, PTN here, RDX here, blah, 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 on the wing here and there, blah, yeah, da, 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 da. The one eyewitness they serve up is someone who didn't see a missile. He just had turned his head at the last moment. But he was a good eyewitness otherwise. He said he saw a bright white light. Now, bright white light means a high explosive. That's a, a bomb or a missile. That's not a fuel tank explosion, which is a soft, billowy yellow light. Mm-hmm. So they were using that one witness to, um, to uh, fortify their thesis that it was a bomb. Now, of the, I remember the 56 eyewitnesses I told you about the track the, a missile from the horizon to the airplane. Mm-hmm. You know how many of those people the New York Times interviewed? Absolutely Zero. <laughs> none. Yeah. None. Zero. They weren't allowed to be heard. And this mm-hmm. was in 1996, just before the Internet, you know, really took off. So people can, you know, barely communicate among themselves. If this, if this happened two years later, they, they never could have gotten away with it because the, the people would have been, the witnesses would have been talking to each other because uh, they've never been quiet. They continue to insist on uh, on uh, saying what they saw. In fact, I had lunch on the 25th anniversary with the key eyewitness in this case, the one around whom the CIA built its bizarre animation explaining what they thought did happen. Interesting. And how long was the plane in the air before this, this explosion happened? 12 minutes. Wow. And every bit of evidence. There's no contrary evidence from the air traffic control uh, patterns to the, uh, the debris field, to the, uh, the radar uh, showing how the parts exited the airplane, to the eyewitnesses, all evidence, to the explosive residue found on the plane, all evidence says missile. And there's uh, one more smoking gun. And... and um, Actually, there is a smoking gun, and that is that flying one mile above the explosion site was a, a Navy P-3 Orion. It's an airplane that's used uh, to track subs, but also used to coordinate what the Navy calls uh, cooperative engagement capabilities. And in the immediate vicinity, the FBI admitted this, were at least three subs and two cruisers. The P-3... What it, what it does, here's my hand right here. Here's the piece mm-hmm. of <laughs> It uh, coordinates the information coming up from the various, what they call combatants, the various mm-hmm. ships uh, and subs. And, you know, it relays that information to the others. Basically, it's, it's the key player in a missile test. And it's right above Flight 800, right? 
and the, um, the, 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 the eight crew members refused to be interviewed. Uh, the Navy was never really interviewed. They totally got away with it. The Navy was, and all the reporting in the New York Times said they never even mentioned the possibility that the Navy was involved. That's incredible. So this was the, this was a training run, essentially, is what it was for, for, for the Navy to test these missiles out. That's right. And, or, or the subs, yeah. And, and, to, and people say, why would they do it in a crowded airspace? Well, I think because if they couldn't pull it off in a crowded airspace, it had no value. And at this time, two days before the start of the Olympics, mm -hmm. they were on the lookout for uh, sort of what happened on September 11th. That is, planes being used as bombs. Uh, and they were... More specifically, because there was uh, plans in the Bojinka plot, they were looking for planes, small charter planes filled with explosives. So it wasn't a, a random exercise. They had. Well, yeah. Uh, doesn't the Navy put out warnings to aircraft when they're doing stuff like that so that they don't fly in that airspace? They should. Uh, yeah, it should have been out. And, uh, but this may have been, you know, secret. Uh, what we do know, though, is that. Uh, flight 800 should have been much higher. Okay. It should have been at about 17,000 feet, but uh, another plane was crossing overhead and they kept it kind of unnaturally low. And one of the best eyewitnesses, you know, was tracking, she was in, in the aviation industry, she was tracking flight 800. She said, boy, that's awfully low for, you know, 12 minutes out of JFK. She knew where she was. And uh, it got in the way. Uh, now they may have been, there may have been even a, a, a you know rogue terrorist plane in the mix. I can't rule that out, but almost assuredly, there was a drone exercise. A drone was being used to simulate uh, a a rogue operative. We have video from five days before of a missile test off the coast of Long Island that shows exactly that. It shows a a missile going up. We see the missile hitting some object, and then we see the debris falling to the sky. Now, the object was much smaller, and it didn't make a massive explosion. It was probably a drone or another missile. But they, you know, to have any effect, uh, these they, this system had to work. Very complicated Aegis system. It had to work in a, in a crowded airspace. So any communication with the plane uh were the pilot was the pilot even alerted that something was coming towards them? Nope. Uh, well, if they were, uh, the the flight data recorder mm -hmm. and the cockpit voice recorder uh, were both cut off abruptly. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm positive they were they were retrieved immediately, taken someplace and edited, so then then put back in place. It took Navy divers something like nine days to find two orange, the black boxes are bright orange, just mm -hmm. 100 feet of water, right off the coast of New York. I mean, Navy divers could find, you know, a couple months earlier, they uh, they went to, they helped out in the Dominican Republic and found two, two black boxes 7,000 feet below the surface in a quicker time than it took them to find these two, to, to find. Uh, these boxes are pinging. You and I could have found them. It would have been that easy. Wow. Wow. And how many people were aboard that plane? 230. Wow. And I'm in touch, still in touch with uh, family members who have never recovered, as you might imagine. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. So whatever hit those, we'll just play devil's advocate, whatever hit them, hit them really fast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I doubt if the uh, the people on board ever knew what, what was going to hit them in. And for the most part, they'd have been dead within seconds. So how did you start finding out all this, all, all these details? Well, it's kind of a good story. I, I had, uh, I, you know, even though I grew up in the New York area, I was not, uh, and I think I was at the New Jersey Shore when this happened. I, it, it didn't, I, I was, didn't register until I went to here four years after the fact, a talk given by a fellow named James Sanders, mm -hmm. uh, who is an investigative reporter, who did the first real reporting on this, for which uh, he was arrested, as was his wife, Elizabeth, who was a PWA flight attendant and trainer, as was the pilot uh, and 747 manager from inside the investigation who was feeding them information. They were all arrested on uh, conspiracy charges, and uh, James and, and Elizabeth were convicted. 
And I went, I, I heard him speak at, and in Kansas City where I live is the, uh, the ancestral home of TWA, it was the former headquarters. So there's a lot of uh, retired and active at that time, TWA people there. And uh, they were angry to a person. Not a single one of them believed the, the government uh, explanation. And um, I was impressed by their tenacity. I, you know, I thought this was just, oh, another conspiracy theory you hear about. And then I went to dinner afterwards with a bunch of people, including, and I sat next to Elizabeth. Uh, the, and she's a Filipino by descent. You know, very pretty, you know, sweet. And she ends up getting arrested and convicted of conspiracy in a federal court for introducing her husband, who's an investigative reporter, to uh, a, a man, who, a pilot who's investigating it. And that was her crime. That was it. James's crime, James Sanders' crime, was to report on it, to tell the truth about what happened. And when they uh, were tried, the, uh, the jury was not allowed to hear that Sanders was an investigative reporter. So what they convicted him on was a, a conspiracy to steal airplane parts. The part in question was a pinch of foam rubber. And, and again, James got five years probation, Elizabeth three, and they would have put him in prison, except they, would have, they didn't want to call any more attention to it than they already had. I'm just going to stand up here and say, so, sure. uh, yeah, so uh, you see my prison walls behind me. <laughs> No, so that's how I got involved. And I was a you know a documentary maker. And I said to the, uh, James and Elizabeth, I said, has anyone ever done a documentary on this? And, and they said, no. So um, uh, we uh, set out to make a documentary and we did. It's called Silence that came out in, um, unfortunately, summer of 2001, we were finishing it up then. And needless to say, the events of September 11th uh, changed the dynamic of Mm -hmm. releasing it because uh, we were negotiating with the BBC then and everyone got cold feet. No one wanted a part of it at all. Mm -hmm. so, I can understand that. Of yeah. course. Of course. Right. You don't want to blame the U.S. Navy. Sure. sure. No one so How hard was it to find this, this information about the training and everything or did you get that from the reporter? Uh, you know, the uh, I would say James Sanders Hey, he was my partner in the first book and in a documentary, uh, has been the most persistent uh, researcher to date. I mean, he shares the information with me. There's other people who've done great work. Tom Stalk, up a physicist out of uh, Massachusetts, uh, Christina Borgeson, formerly with CBS. They fired her for her involvement in this. Um, there's a lot of people out there who've done great research. I, I'm really the person who puts the whole story together sort of the connector of dots on the story. And not being an aviator, I I know enough to translate material into uh, information that the layperson can understand, which is why the books have been as successful as they are. Absolutely. So were you kind of shocked at first when, when you realized what, you know, went on? Yeah, it was, because I... Like a lot of the people involved in this, especially the pilots and military people, uh, they like to think they could trust their government. And I was one of those people who was trustworthy. Plus, I didn't believe they could pull something this spectacular off. Mm -hmm. You know, and they could have only done it with the full-throated support of the New York Times. Um, and it was the beginning of an era. And that era has gotten intensified to this present day. So now that uh, what we see with uh, what we might call the uh, what is it the the woke industrial complex uh, mm -hmm. uh, the control of media information now by big tech and big media in collusion with the intelligence agencies is um, unprecedented and frightening. You said earlier that. Um you were in touch with some of the family members that, that had been on the plane? Yeah, yes, yeah. And how do they feel about all this? Well, you know, a lot of people, uh, yeah, and I can't say that the ones I talked to represent the majority. I don't think they do. Most of the people wanted to believe the government was telling the truth. And what happened, too, is then the trial lawyers swooped in immediately. And then they, they directed the 
family members' wrath towards Boeing and TWA. Mm -hmm. And for the everyone, that for the trial lawyers, I'm in a big payoff. And Boeing and TWA were both compromised. I mean, Boeing was in the middle of a merger and they needed the government approval to go through with it. TWA was, you know, tinkering on the brink of financial disaster and they needed government support to stay alive. So they both made, uh, you know, uh, a deal with the devil and, and played along. Now their employees didn't. Their employees are both Boeing. I've heard from all kinds of employees from Boeing and TWA. Right? They're all horrified. They're all angry at their employer. Not all, but virtually all that I've talked to. Uh, but yeah, a lot of family members just wanted to, to go away. They took their three or four million and walked away. It wasn't like they were paid off. Uh, it was like they were, uh, they just didn't want to deal with it. Did Howard Hughes still own TWA at that point, or was that way after he owned it? What was that? Um, excuse me? Did Howard Hughes still own TWA at that point? No, no, that was long since. Uh, his okay. Own. No, he did at one point, yes, yeah. And he, I think he was the one who brought it to Kansas City. And that was, you know, maybe, I don't know, 50s or 40s or something. Uh, they've got a long and storied history, and they're very proud of their history. And I still speak to TWA veterans groups um, as a friend. I mean, they know I'm, we're on, all on the same page. This is the rare conspiracy theory mm -hmm. in which everyone on the inside agrees, you know, and that the only people who disagree are the people who are paid to disagree. So, so, was, so as you guys got into this this research, what was it difficult uh, to get this information? I mean, from because because you're dealing with with the military. Well, you know, I tell you what, the military are have been the most reluctant to share information. We've gotten no meaningful information from the military. The CIA was surprisingly eager to share their and brag about their role. The FBI is um, all the FBI information was played out uh, during the NTSB hearings uh, in 2000. So by 2000, the final hearing occurred four years after the crash. Mm -hmm. All the FBI information essentially was there. Um, and, it, and it just, anyone paying attention knew that the whole thing was a, you know, it was, it was a show trial, it was a mockery, justice. And a lot of people were just really angry, especially the insiders, especially people who worked for TWA or, uh, or who were, you know, had family members on board. How long had they been doing these exercises? Was it was it just that one night, or, or, or were they doing it for like a week? Or? At least in 1994, you know, in, in my uh, most recent book, I showed an illustration out of a 1994 training manual. It shows the P3 right up right up here, all the you know the combatants, the ships, and the subs gathered around, and here's the P3, and that was to me was the real. It was really kind of the smoking gun, seeing mm -hmm. that, that illustration with the P3 right in the center. So what are the odds, think about this, that a, a Navy Orion, P3 Orion, would just happen to be over a 747 when for the first time in the history of 747s, it self-destructed in midair. What yeah. are they, I mean, they're not, they defy, I know, and, and none, no 747 has done that since. In fact, no major commercial aircraft has done that in the history during the history of jet a fuel which is like a kerosene it's you can put a put out a match in in there and that fuel it's not it's not flammable unless it's agitated like by getting hit by a missile you know which could cause that to happen so you know and the sad thing about this is there's probably video of what happened there's probably video of the explosion and everything there is <laughs> good question um that night at least one person I made a video of the event. And now this is before cell phone cameras. So, sure. but it was in the era of video cameras. So people on the beach, they had this. At least one person picked it up. I said, my best information, MSNBC, which at that time had yet to get ideological, had been on the air only two days. It went on the air July 15th. And they won a bidding war for the video. They showed it several times that night. I've talked to literally hundreds of people who saw the video. I didn't. And uh, I talked to, indirectly, just through one cutout, the fellow who was working at MSNBC when the FBI came in and took all copies and 
threatened everyone within an inch of their life if they ever talked about it. Hmm. So, uh, and then, you know, I, I met this fellow uh, online who's a, an, eye, an excellent eyewitness, a 747 pilot and a Boeing uh, missile expert who just happened to be in Hong Kong recuperating from back surgery with his wife. And he said he watched it on Hong Kong TV for days, weeks. He said he saw it 50 times, that same video. In fact, just last year, I, myself and some inside people went back to Hong Kong. Not, I didn't go literally, but we had a, a guy in Hong Kong look to see if he could find a copy of that video. See, when I think of videos like that, I think of what happened over in, or was it Afghanistan or Iraq a couple years, a few years ago? When that, when, when that airplane was hit by I, the missile? No, it was Iran. and uh, That's right. Yeah, we accidentally. The Mideast. <laughs> yeah, right. Same basic place. Yeah. We accidentally, you know, the United States Navy uh, in 1988 uh, accidentally shot down a, an Iranian Airbus with yes. 300 civilian passengers on board. That happens. You know, mm -hmm. now the Navy, uh, you know, as they say, the, in the Navy is shut everyone up and pass out the medals. You know, that's the way it works. <laughs> uh, the Navy had to fess up because the government, the White House was not going to allow them to lie about this. Yeah. Uh, but in 1996, it was a different uh, calculation because the incumbent president, Bill Clinton, was running for reelection. Mm -hmm. He couldn't afford to have this happen on his watch. And he was capable and willing to uh, coerce the silence out of all the key players. And we're talking about a half dozen people. It's not like a, right. a grand conspiracy. I mean, hundreds of people worked on the investigation. 99% of them did it honestly. You know, but they're they working on some little teeny part. They didn't see the rest. And it's amazing when I got into the investigation to talk to, especially people in the National Transportation Safety Board, how little they knew about what the FBI knew. So you talk to them about missile sightings, they said, what missiles say? They didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that happens, it compartmentalizes. Uh, it's stupid, but it happens. Well, you know, like what I was talking about video two is, I mean, you know for a fact that the plane that, that was observing everything was shooting video as well, because that's what they do on these tests. It's just like what they do with the rockets or they did it with the space shuttle. They always had a chase plane taking video in yeah, behind these guys. Exactly. So somewhere the Navy's got really, I mean, really clear video of what happened. I bet they, what, what, what they did release uh, this, the Navy P-3, the plane hovering overhead. What they did release very uh, discreetly was a video of the debris field. They circled uh, and they, they circled and then they, they, uh, they claimed they were sent on a routine sub hunting mission couple hundred miles away right afterwards. Okay, a missile plane's been shot out of the sky. You are a sub-hunting plane, right? You're the best asset in that area, and you're sent off to look at other subs. You know, because uh, at that time, people were saying, even in the White House, they're saying openly, they thought it was terror. They thought it was a terrorist attack before mm -hmm. the word got out. But no one questions why the P-3 is being sent to New Jersey to look for subs, you know, instead of staying in the immediate area and looking for a, a culprit. Well, but I can see this terrorist attack thing because they said there was a bomb. You know, they came up with this thing that, that for a while the, the, there was a bomb. Right, but the people in the, the people in the new three in the P three knew exactly what happened. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, so they just kept their mouths shut. They refused to talk to anyone, and uh, the FBI was in totally intimidated by the Navy. Uh, they, they're over their heads. They're out of their leagues. And they, were, uh, and they were just, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know how to investigate an airplane crash. And you see it when you read the uh, 302s, which is the official forms they fill out. You, you just see how amateurish the whole thing is. So there was no, there were no bodies recovered at all off of this? Uh, the bodies were recovered, most of okay. them. Um, many of them had simply been you know, had been uh, utterly uh, atomized. I mean, mm -hmm. utterly disintegrated. The ones that were in an immediate area of, the, of where the missile penetrated. Uh, but those who were other parts of the plane survived intact. Some of them apparently were still alive and breathing as their seats descended into the sea. Wow. 
should be very horrifying. Oh my God, yeah, that would be horrible. Like the media site were uh, obliterated; they were just, you know, destroyed uh, and turned into atoms. And the number of seconds that it took, you know, for uh, to get from that, you know, those thousands of feet to to hit the water like that, you just gotta imagine what was yeah. going through their mind. I mean, if you're conscious, that's the that's got to be just utterly horrifying. I mean, there's an excellent chance they had been rendered unconscious. Right, right, right. In the yeah. initial explosion. Think wow. So how do you feel about, I mean, you're, you're very passionate about this. Well, you know, uh, it's a good question, Charlotte. I mean, the, over time, you just have to um, you develop a certain um, sense of... Uh, not calm isn't the right word of you do the best you can mm -hmm. and then you you take it as far as you could take it and then you trust that someday someone will take up where you left off and and deliver the truth and we've just passed the 25 year window so right now we're talking about an historical event not a news event and yet many of the principles are still alive and some of them are still politically active so it would be nice to get the uh, truth out. Uh, right now, if anyone's listening to a show, the only one who can do me any good at this point, because any time I do a show, I hear from lots of people, a lot of them have good information. But at this point, the only information that can help me is someone at a very high level in the U.S. Navy who knows what happened and is willing to talk about it. Makes sense to me. Um I just I had a question and I, I lost it. <laughs> Where in California are you, by the way? Uh, Sacramento. Okay. How, how did you end up there? Pardon? How did you end up in? How did someone end up in Sacramento? Yeah. My, well, my dad. He, yeah. he he lived in Ohio and then he after after the Coast Guard, this is where he ended up. Okay, very good. Well, I had, uh, I recently watched the movie Lady Bird, which must be there you go. mandatory watching in Sacramento. Have you there seen? You go. Have you gotten any had had any harassment or anything from from the FBI or the Navy really. writing these books at no, all? Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't have any firsthand information. Mm -hmm. You know, all the information, the FBI, the security state, the intel community worries about people with firsthand information, and I don't have that. I, and so, if anything bad happened to me, you would raise more flags than are worth raising. There's nothing I can, you know, the, everything I know is in my books uh, or my video. What, when you first met the family members, what did you say to them? Because you were doing this research. Yeah, that's very awkward. Um, you know, because I, I remember, you know, it's like, what do you say to anyone who's recently lost a child? I mean, it's extremely difficult to begin with. But I remember on one occasion giving a talk uh, and a, one of the mothers showed up. And I was really thrilled to have her there. She, you know, validated what I was saying. Mm -hmm. But I really had to totally change the tone of my conversation. You know, it couldn't be funny. No, no room for humor or, or irony or sarcasm, you know. You really, I really had to tone down the thing because these people, it's a living wound, it's raw. Um, and the ones who persist are, it never goes away. And uh, and, it, and it's aggravated by the fact that they've never been told the truth. Interesting. So um, I don't know how, how, how radar systems work, but I mean, the people in the control tower, uh, tower at JFK, they, they couldn't see the, um, the, the, the ships launching the missiles at all? No, what, what they can see is uh, what they pick up, what, what they look at on a, a radar screen are, are uh, objects with transponders. Oh, okay. Communicate back. Like it'll say on the screen, TW-800. Mm -hmm. And they'll see it uh, moving across the screen, TW-800. But the radar, as it circulates, also does something called skin painting. And that is they, even an object without a transponder, on a sweep, they could pick up and pick it up. And so what they saw uh, was an object heading towards Flight 800 just before it exploded. 
Now, I've talked to people who are in that control tower on that screen. Um, they don't want to use their names, but they know what they saw. Mm -hmm. And those tapes, and this is all taped, are supposed to be maintained at the scene for at least 24 hours, but they were to be taken away immediately. Wow. A lot of cover-up. A lot of cover-up. got out somehow, and that led to, you know, a lot of uh, noise, but uh, no one wanted to acknowledge what they were saying. So how long did it take you to do, to do this research and, and, and put all this together? Because this is a lot of stuff. Yeah, I, I, you know, I did it on and off over time. Uh, you know, when I'd get new information, I would update things. What happened in 2016, just in a way of background, uh, is that James Sanders, who was my partner on the on the uh, the first video and book, and their most serious investigator, uh, calls me one day out of the blue. I hadn't talked to him in a while, and he says, "You will not believe what the FBI sent me." And I said, uh, "I said, well, what did they send you?" And he goes, um, "They sent me by mistake, I'm sure." a copy of the video of the plane being destroyed. And for Whoa. James, this was, the, this was eureka moment. I mean, this is, you know, the, the ultimate, you know, this is the holy grail. And uh, so he said, we need, we need to do a book. We, we, get, we got to do another book. We'll base it around this. Plus the CIA had released all these documents, which were mind boggling. And uh, I said, okay, well, let me talk to the publisher. And, um, I had yet to see the video. James was hanging on to the video. So I took the publisher and he said, what do you got? I said, well, I got, I got a video, which is huge. And I have a, uh, the CIA documents, which are huge. It's enough for a new book. So they commissioned the book on the left, TW800. It was Regnery. Still order a book online if you want to. Crash, cover up and conspiracy. So finally though, after I, we get the contract, uh, James says, no, you know, my agent says, I really got to, this is proprietary. I really got to do something with it myself. And I said, I perfectly understand. He's paid his dues. I don't begrudge him that at all. Uh, so then he said, he sends me the video. And I watched the video, Charlotte. And I said, I said, how do I break it to him? It was like talking to the, the parent of a child who was lost on the plane. How do I break it to him that this isn't the video of the, on the night of July 17th. It's the video that was shot, and we knew it existed, of a missile test on the morning of July 12th. So I finally called James back. I said, James, boy, you're not gonna wanna hear this. And he said, what? He goes, it's not the night of July 17th. Well, it's the dawn, and it looks like the dusk. They're hard to tell apart. He goes, well, the moon is in the same phase as it was on the 12th and, the, and as it was on the 17th. I said, James, I, I went to the moon charts. The moon here is waxing. On the July 17th, it was waning. <laughs> you know? I said, this is July 12th. I said, it has a ton of evidentiary value because what we're looking at is a real-time missile exercise off the coast of Long Island in which a missile goes up and it perfectly captures the, the trajectory of an ascending missile that's tracking on a target and it destroys something, and the debris fills, falls from the sky. I mean, we proved that they were running missile tests right there. Anyhow, uh, that was enough to get the book launched, and um, that's basically how I, how I did it. That was a major piece of new information. And so after the book, go ahead. I'm sorry. After the 2016, boy, I heard from, and the book was well distributed and well received, and it was the 20th anniversary. And I heard from oh, probably 200 serious, well-informed experts or eyewitnesses. And how many, do you know how many ships were, were involved in this exercise? Well, we know there are at least three subs and, and uh, two cruisers and the, uh, the Navy P-3. There may have been more, but we know those have been admitted to. And they were tracking a drone, or they were just fire, or they were firing. I know. Firing. Uh, I, I think the point of the exercise was to knock, just as it was on July twelfth, to, to right. knock the drone out of the sky. A woman uh, at a deck party accidentally captured a, a photo of the drone. 
uh, which is as clear as day. The New York Times even ran the photo. So, Interesting. Yeah. So are these missiles heat seekers, or, or they were just regular missiles that they were firing with? They're probably standard U.S. Navy missiles. I okay. I, I shy from trying to uh, to get too technical here because I'm not certain, right. and okay. I don't venture beyond what I know. Right. I understand. I understand. I leave that to missile experts because they'll they'll go at it all day long. You know? <laughs> I, yeah, I know that too from being around people in the military. Oh. Um, Wow, this is this is absolutely incredible stuff to find out. So it, it took six years to come up with the uh, company line report. Four years. Four years, okay. To come up with the, com the company line report. Four weeks. Right, you know. Right. Wow. Um, what's the message you want to get out to people on this? I would say, uh, you know, the message is, and most people now, I don't want people to be cynical, but I do want them to be skeptical. And today more so than ever, I hate to say it, but it used to be you would, you could believe your government most of the time. Mm -hmm. now, and you could believe the media most of the time. Now you can believe the former almost never and the media even less. Um, and it, it, it applies not just to TW800, mm -hmm. it applies to everything you read in a paper every day about COVID, about the election, about what happened on January 6th, what happened, uh, the, the media are so thoroughly agenda-driven now, they're not even embarrassed to not report the news. Mm -hmm. I and mean, it's ridiculous, uh, Charlotte, that I should have, a, I should be the primary custodian of this story. I should have had to fight off every major newspaper uh, reporter in America to write my books. But I had a clear field. And not just on this book, but on other books as well. I did one on the, on the death of Commerce Secretary Ron Brown in a plane crash. Um, I had a clear field. You know, and, and you know, I've written a dozen or so books. And I, I have a career because the major media are not doing their job. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, uh, that the New York Times was paid off for this in order for them uh, to, to cover it exclusively? Exactly. I mean, wouldn't, they wouldn't have been reimbursed financially, but oh boy, it's hard to say what motivated them to become um, inside players with the you know the security state. You know, uh, Matt Talib, who the sort of renegade Rolling Stone reporter, said uh, and about a year ago in one of his books, he said, you know, it's it's bad enough for the media to be on any side. But when they're on the side of the FBI and the CIA, uh, that's, a, that's an abomination. I mean, they, they're they not skeptical exactly where they should be skeptical. The media, I, I don't really even blame the government. Government's a lie. I mean, our founding fathers built a constitution around the fact that humans are fallible, fallible. But uh, they also built it with the understanding that there was always a, a free press that would hold the government to, to uh, justice. And we don't have that anymore. And big tech is even worse than big media. And their conspiracy during the 2020 election to silence basically all dissent from their prevailing opinions was shocking. I was, I was shocked. And I, I'm all, I thought it was shock proof. I'm not. They shocked me. I think it's shock proof, but then I just had a thought. When you got the papers from the from the CIA to look at, was there anything bl uh, blacked out or anything? Because I, mean, I know it, I said they were surprisingly forthright. Okay. You know, names were blacked out, mm -hmm. um, and some blocks of information were blocked out. But I was I was really shocked to see how open they were. In fact, the guy who was responsible for uh, managing the CIA cover up was given a medal. And it was covered in like CIA Today or whatever magazine. <laughs> and he bragged about what he did. Uh, it's mind boggling because they knew they could get away with it at that point. You know, they were they were that confident. Interesting. I just find this also interesting because you were able you you were able to get all this information because to me, uh, I would think that it, it would be so far hidden that, that you couldn't find it. Well, you know, uh, you know the Freedom of Information Act can work. That's a major tool. 
Um, also, you know, what was important was that the NTSB had to have public hearings and they could not suppress certainly the FBI information. Um, and so a lot of this was aired by the year 2000. You know, a lot has come out since the CIA information came out as a result of the Freedom of Information Act stuff uh, much later. James Sanders, 25 years after the crash, is still sending FOIAs to, uh, to uh, the FBI. I mean, he's, he hasn't given up. And uh, if anyone breaks this case, it'll be him. And he deserves it. Wow. So, um, like you say, they were only in the air 12 minutes. They, they weren't even up, up at cruising um, level yet, or cruising speed for that matter. No, they, they were not. They were only up right exactly. They were, they were still going slow and they were still flying low. And then it cost 230 lives. Um, and, it, you know, it wasn't like they were doing anything wrong. Uh, it's just that they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, people ask, was there anyone on board who deserved, you know, and I said, no, no one deserved his or her own missile. No one was that important to, to bring down the plane. Um, that wasn't true in the Ron Brown case, but it was true in this case. Um, and um, nor was it, there was some rumor that there was an, an Israeli flight that had been knocked out of sequence. And that's true, but it, it was just a, a random occurrence that had nothing to do with this. Uh, and how, okay. and yeah. how far away from the, from the airport were they? Uh, about, uh, I think about 110 miles. Wow. Not that far. I mean, and they were only eight or 10 miles offshore. Right. And they're, like I say, this is, you know, it's like as if it happened eight or 10 miles off Santa Monica. You know, there'd be a lot of people out there watching. Well, they'd all be stoned, so they wouldn't know what they saw. <laughs> In this case, wow. you know, they, were, they, were, they weren't those kind of people. So um, when, when, when the witnesses were watching, you know, the witnesses that saw the missile, did they see any other missiles at all or just the one? No. Uh, no one. Uh, very few, Only one or two people reported seeing two missiles. But uh, from the trajectories of what people saw, some people saw one missile and some people saw another, depending on where they were. There are at least two missiles involved. Wow. Maybe three. I uh, I would think so. Yeah, that's usually what they'll do is they'll do multiple missiles and see, right. and see which one it is. Uh, you know that kind one, of thing. One missile may have been sent to knock out once they realized what they had done to knock mm -hmm. out the initial missile. I I don't know those details. That's why I would put out a call here, throw it to sure. your, your audience to uh, uh, if you can find me the uh, that person who knows, you'll get the. A Pulitzer Prize. I'll give you my Pulitzer Prize. I'll share my Pulitzer Prize. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I could use a Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, right. I, I, I can use one. Um, what do you have to say to the families? You know, now, now, now that you're, you know, you're still essentially investigating all this. So, what do you have to say to the families about all this? You know, and it's uh, it's tough because the temptation is to get really dark and really cynical. Mm -hmm. And I would say to them. Uh, the family members, and, and as well as to the to the friends of those 53 employees, the employee employees, many of whom are bad. I mean, I've had many of their friends. Everyone knew them. You know, when I spoke at TWA Museum, everyone knew someone on that plane. Is don't get cynical. Don't give up hope. Don't write off. Who is it that said? I was just reading this. Uh, oh, I think Mark Twain said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, a patriot can hate his government, but he can't hate his nation. Mm -hmm. I would say that is my takeaway. Don't give up on the dream, on the ideal, uh, because we have right now the most perverse government in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And uh, they do things that can't even make sense to them. <laughs> Just, you know, I can't even, I don't even see the logic in it anymore, you know. But that's a subject for another day. Well, this just makes you wonder how many more quote-unquote accidents there have been like this. There haven't been many. Okay. Something like this off is major. Now, I should say this. There haven't been many in peacetime. Mm -hmm. More time, they can cover up anything. You know? mm -hmm. uh, during World War II, yeah, amazing stories were covered up. Um, and you get it. You understand it, okay? It's, you know, just like... Uh, 
you can't afford to get too nitpicky during war. Especially yeah. if you have a common enemy and you're really concerned yeah. about your nation's survival. But in peacetime, there's no excuse. No excuse at all. And, and the excuse I'm sure they gave to the participants was, this is a top-level national security. We've got to protect this information. But the real truth was, we're trying to protect uh, Bill Clinton's re-election. So and go ahead. what makes this hard is that people in the left and center didn't want to hear that. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if, you know, George Bush had been president, the truth would have been out in a month. Mm -hmm. Either George. Mm -hmm. So real quick, when when uh, when air traffic control knew that something had happened to this plane, what action did they take right away? Uh, they did. They you know, made all the right moves. They called the FAA. They sent the tape immediately to Washington because they knew they had seen something. Mm -hmm. And um, and so they did exactly what they were expected to do. Um, what happened in Washington is another story. Mm -hmm. and once it got to anything that went to Washington was capable of being laundered or suppressed. And that happened not only with uh, the, uh, the, the radar tape, but also with uh, uh, the material parts. What happened is on site at, in Long Island, they had a very sophisticated uh, testing device, Israeli made, it's called Aegis, I think, and they would uh, get, uh, they had to get a positive for um, you know some sort of nitrate or RDX PTN, and then they'd send it to Washington for further testing. Then it was lost, and and then results were now inconclusive. <laughs> you know, that's too much. I really appreciate you having me on the show, though. I got to run, uh, but uh, okay. Well, uh, I appreciate it. I really do. How, how, how do people get a hold of you, sir? I just go to my website, which is Cashel, C A S H I L L. Mm -hmm. com. And uh, if you could put it up, that'd be great. And okay, uh, I'll do that. And there's a contact Jack in there. So if you want to contact me, you can uh, through my website. I mean, it's it's not hard. Uh, and uh, you do a great job and you ask a lot of good questions. So, Would it be possible to have you want to get in a, a, another show to uh, talk more about all this? You know, I tell you what, if I, if, as soon as I get more information, I'll, I'll get back in touch with you. Okay. Sounds good. I would love that. Okay. Thank you Thanks so much. I learned so much tonight, and I really appreciate it, sir. Yeah, keep up the good work, okay, Sherlock? All right. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well, that was a great show. I, I, I don't know about you, but I learned a lot. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you didn't like the show, share it with five enemies. But I'd really like to get this show shared out because this, is, this was a very important topic with this gentleman. And uh, it's, it's something we only know about is that kind of history. Anyhow, again, uh, visit our YouTube page, California Haunts. It's just California Haunts. Google us. Um, and uh, you'll find us on YouTube. And become a subscriber because we're looking for subscribers there as well. To, on Monday, Jared, our old friend Jared Murphy is going to be on to talk about not being aliens that created our ancient history stuff. So he's going to be back with us on Monday. And... Uh, you know, we're a little non-profit here putting this show out, and I really appreciate it if you could uh, spare, spare a few bucks to help me keep this thing going, because it's all coming out of pocket, and that would be at PayPal me at California Haunts, if you can find it in your heart to do that. In the meantime, I will see you guys on Monday, and I'm going to share some stuff, the website, so you can reach this gentleman. That's www.cashill.com. And these are the books that he has out, Unmasking Obama, his two TWA books. Brown's Body and a couple other books. I can't see because of the stupid things covering it because the screen changed on me. Anyway, those are available at Amazon.com, so just type in uh, his name, uh, Jack Cashel's name, and you will find the books. And I want to thank you all for coming tonight, and I can't wait to see you all Monday so we can start a new week of great shows. Thank you. Thank you very much.